I'm going to take you back to your childhood days when you were a kid. Go back that far for some of you, right? A little less for others. But do you remember as a kid um, having to wait? When, when it was Christmas time, you know, and, and you were sneaking around, you found your parents and in, in the, where they hide the, the presents, right? And you, you, just, you know you have to wait, right? When it's your birthday coming up and how that felt. Like when you saw all the older kids, right, they get to do all these fun things and you had to go to bed. Do you remember waiting? I can remember in elementary school and in, even in high school, right, I'm halfway listening to the teacher um, and, and then I'm just looking at the clock, right? You guys can't see that clock. Well, go ahead, turn around right there. Did you know we had a clock back there? It's 1133. I get to look at that. So we're just waiting, right? And then just willing that clock to go so that bell would ring and you could get out of school. Do you remember those days? Waiting. How about family car rides, right? Are we there? Are we there yet? I mean, time seemed to just like inch along, right? You just have to suffer through this. And for the kids that are in, in the audience today, right, there were no cell phones. There was no entertainment system in cars. We just had to sit there and suffer and wait. And how about this? As a parent, have you ever had to, uh, have you ever done this mistake, right? Uh, you're, you're telling your young child that tomorrow your grandma and grandpa are coming or your favorite aunt or uncle or your friend's coming. And then all day long you heard the question, are they coming yet? Are they coming now? When are they going to you know, get here? Waiting, waiting. You see, little kids, they live in the moment, don't they? They can't see beyond that, right? They're unable to put off what they want right now. Trust me, I had four grandkids at my house for four days. I understand that they want what they want right now. But as we age and mature, as we do so, right, we should be able to become less anchored to the moment, right, and look forward to the future. I say should because, oh my goodness, how hard is that, right? That we would be able to make plans beyond today. Maybe look into the future and even beyond to eternity. As mature adults, we should be able to do that. But it's hard. You see, being able to do that, though, allows us to endure what's happening today. Right? To the inconvenience, the hardships, through the dark nights. Through the times when God is silent, when God does go dark, that we wait. And even, as Pastor Joe pointed out last week, when God says no. That's what we're talking about, right? When God goes dark, when he's silent, or even when he says no. What do we do? How do we act? Waiting. Speaking of waiting, I'm in maybe two minutes in my message. You might be thinking, how long is this sermon going to go, Pastor Tony? Please, God, help me listen to what he has to say, right? Help me not look at the, the clock or, or my phone. That's a good prayer, by the way. Help me focus on your word while we wait. We wait, we ask, how long, don't we? How long? How long until the sermon's over? How long until school is over? How long until the summer break gets here, right? How long? How long will I have to suffer through this? How long until I feel better? And guess what? We ask that question to God all the time, don't we? I mean, the Bible actually helps us to do that. There are many examples here, just a few. Psalm 6, 3, my soul is in anguish. How long? 
Oh, Lord, Isaiah, he says it to the prophet, how long? For how long? Habakkuk says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? You see, here's the thing. The knowledge that God can prevent bad things from happening to us, it often leads us to the expectation, right, that he should. That he should. And then where does that leave us? You know, as followers of Jesus, we, we figure in our brains, right? Well, God wants the best for me, right? He's not going to certainly have me suffer so long. He won't make me too, suffer too long. Bad things aren't going to happen to me. So let me ask you, are, are those thoughts accurate? Are they true? No, not really. That's what our human brains expect, right? That's what we assume, but that is kind of immature. It's not a mature thing. We know God is good. We know God is sovereign. We know God is all powerful, but he never promised to put a protective bubble over us, right? He never said, well, guess what? In this world, you won't have trouble. No, he said just the opposite, didn't he? Jesus said his words, John chapter uh, 16, verse 33, in this world, you what? You will. Are you paying attention? Did you check out right? In this world, what? You will have trouble. And then he goes on, but take heart, right? I've overcome the world. You see, when we incorrectly assume that God will protect us from bad things, then our expectations aren't met. And when our expectations aren't met, then we get these negative emotions, right? We get depressed, we get angry, we get frustrated, and that's a common human experience. Life is hard. We do suffer. In fact, there's a book in the Bible that has a word right in it that I'm going to be talking about today. It's called Lament. Lamentations. You heard of that book? It's in the Old Testament. I know it's kind of hard, but it's, it's in there. And it's a great history. I'm not, I'm not so great. It's terribly great, actually. And, and the, this, this verse from Lamentations 520 kind of sums it up and, and cap, encapsulates this book. Why do you always forget us? Can you imagine saying that to God? Have you said that to God? Why do you always forget us? Why do you forget me, God? Why do you forsake me for so long? I mean, the writer of this book, probably Jeremiah, witnessed the events that happened around 600 years before Jesus came. If you could imagine that a foreign power would come right now, destroy this church and all the churches in, in, in our country, take down our capital, do all that kind of stuff, right? And so, so much that the, the writer of Lamentations says that women that were pregnant were so hungry that they resorted to cannibalism. It's right in the book of Lamentations. They tore down the temple that Solomon built. Everything was, was crushed. They had all reason to lament. So I don't know about you, but I really haven't said the word lament in 2022 2023, I said it. I mean, it was really, what does lament mean, right? For those of us who don't follow Jesus, it's just a passionate grieving, right? Or an expression of deep sorrow. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it's a prayerful expression of sorrow, of pain and confusion. And it's directed to God, our Heavenly Father. In today's society, we rarely use that word. Besides, Christians are supposed to put on a happy face, right? We should always be joyful. Wrong. Not. This world is sinful and broken and we live 
right in it. There is sadness. There is sickness. There is agony. On the news, we see it all the time, right? Wars and rumors of wars. Soft targets like churches and schools. How many endless times do we hear the gunman coming, right? It's hard. It's broken. People do get cancer. Neighbors do lose their house to fire or whatever. Friends do turn away. Co-workers do say stuff that make you sad and angry, right? Family and friends do walk away from God's truth. So in these moments of sorrow, what is a Christian to do? We go to the Lord and lament. Have you ever asked this question to God? Why, God, does it seem like you're forgetting me? I mean, everyone else has, you fill in the blank. But I'm stuck here in this silence, in the darkness, not knowing. And maybe, God, you said no. Maybe you said nothing. And I'm waiting. What are you doing, Lord? You see, lamenting, if you don't get anything out of this message, okay, pay attention to this, okay? I'm going to read it right from my notes. Lamenting is healthy for our faith. It is you don't get anything else, that's what I want you to know today, that lamenting is an act of faith. Did you know that one-third of the Psalms, one-third of the Psalms are a, are, are a prayerful expression of lament or sorrow? A third, and I didn't realize that until I was doing some research. And then what that tells me is that it's a common human experience. Just as much as we go and, and we thank God, right? We thank God and we praise God and rightly so. We should also come to him in lament, in times of trouble, in times of sorrow, because God wants to hear both. He wants to hear both our thankfulness and he wants to hear what we're thinking about him that he already knows, right? I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm depressed. Whatever it is, it's an act of faith to say, why God? It's an act of faith to say, why are you taking so long? How long, oh Lord? When you're crying in bed, how many of you had those nights? When you're crying in bed and you have nothing else to say to God and you just groan and it physically hurts. I've been there. It's lamenting to God. And we need to know it's okay to lament. It's healthy for us. The sin and the problems all at, lay at his feet. What the world does to us, right? What the devil tempts us to do. Today we're going to look at a psalm. I want you to open up your Bibles, please. Psalm 13. It's on page 852 in the Bibles we provide. If you have your phones, that's okay too. And you know, it's written by David. And David was, the Bible says, a man after God's own heart. So if David can lament, guess who else can lament? Every single one of us. Psalm 13, beginning in verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes, Tony's words, because I'm in the dark. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him. My foes, my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust Trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good 
to me. Strong emotions, right? Can we relate? Lamenting to God helps us actually draw closer to him in those times of silence and darkness. Even when he's not answering our prayers, when we suffer and there's pain. Think about it. Who are you most likely to pour out your heart to? A stranger? Someone on an airplane? Probably not. An acquaintance that you rarely see? No. But your best friend? Your spouse? Yes. You see, it's the ones closest to us, right, that we can trust with our deepest feelings and thoughts. Who better to lament to than the one who created us? Than the one who went to the cross and loves us and showed his love by his dying for our sins and rising again from the dead. The one who's actually inside of us, the Bible says, Jesus. There's no one better. So he wants us to lament. Lamenting to God is actually an act of faith. So when we plead, when we say, God, would you act according to your character and your promises? Right? I know you're good, Lord. I know you want the best for me. But you promised you'd be here for me. The fact that we're able to approach God this way, guess what? It shows us that that's a clear sign of intimacy with him. When we lament. I like how this author, Mark, and I don't know how to say his last name necessarily, but he writes this book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. In it he says this, lament is a prayer of pain that leads to trust. It's a short, sweet, simple explanation. It's a, it's a prayer of pain leading to trusting. That's exactly what David did in his psalm. Lament, this wailing of our heart before God who promises, you know what, I'm listening, I care, I want to respond to you, I will respond to you. And at some point in our lamenting, we get to the point where David is, did and we just say, I have nothing else to say, right? I have nothing else to say. And in the very end, I want us to read this aloud in verses 5 and 6. We read it together. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And we speak back to ourselves the truth of who God is. David pours out his heart. And I'm sure there's so many other times that's not recorded in Scripture where he's pouring out in all these biblical characters as, as Pastor Joe reminded us of, right? When we're in trouble, we're in sorrow, we look at a biblical character. And man, this is how we lament. This is what we can do. If they did it, we can too, right? And as we consider lamenting, I thought about the word mourning. You know, not like this morning, but mourning in a condition of being sorrowful over a death of a loved one or something like that, that kind of mourning. And I want you to think about this in, in Bible times, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, did you know that there were professional wailers, professional mourners? That there were there people when, when a family member died, and if you're a fan, who's a fan of The Chosen? Who's gonna go see it in theaters? I have a, a, a date with my wife tomorrow at three o'clock going to watch season three, whatever episode it is. That's an awesome, awesome uh, uh, series. Uh, they actually showed uh, when, when Jesus was at Jairus' house and the 12-year-old daughter that died, but we're going to read it from Scripture. Here's what happened. After she died, they, they rented or, or paid for professional mourners. Jesus comes and he says, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. And you know what the Bible says they did to him? They laughed. At him. 
You see, lamenting is, is similar to mourning. It's crying out loud, though, in grief and sorrow during these hard circumstances. And followers of Jesus, I think this, we have weak lament muscles. We do. We don't know really how to lament very well. And I think about this, that as adults, we just kind of grow into that. But as kids, because I told you my four grandkids were in, they know how to lament. I tell you what. I don't speak whinies. Then as Christian parents, we got to, or grandparents, we got to talk, go, nope, go there, you go talk to God, go tell God about it, right? You can come back to me later. But we as a society, I think, living in our culture, that it's hard for us to really know how to lament the way God wants us to. And there's three reasons for that. I, I, I say it this way. It's American activism. It's really modern cynicism and it's fear. And what do I mean by that? First, American activism or what we say is individualism, right? That we don't want to. Who's a John Wayne fan? I'm a John Wayne fan, right? I don't even know if some of you young people have ever watched a movie. The Cowboys movie, though, they had? Mm, it's great. But John Wayne doesn't lament. He doesn't cry, right? It's just stoic. And, and tough-minded, right? I can handle it on my own, right? That's the mentality. Don't need to talk to others about it. I can do it myself. In biblical times, though, people would mourn and wail together. All together. There's several examples, but one is in the book called Esther. When King Xerxes, he's, he's the, the king of Persia, he signs this decree, Right? to annihilate all the Jews in his country. Can you imagine that? A king saying, yep, I'm going to sign this, and on this day, all the Jews are going to be annihilated. This man, Mordecai, it's recorded in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He does this. He tears his clothes. He puts on this outward wailing, right? This outward lamenting, sackcloth and ashes. He goes out into the city loudly and bitterly, and then there's this... this all these people. They, they, there's great mourning among all of the Jews. And there's fasting. And there's weeping. And there's wailing. And so many of them also put on sackcloth and ashes. Can you even imagine this large-scale movement of lamenting going on in our country today? Not really. 9-11, we did it for how many days? I don't know. How many weeks were our churches packed? I don't know. And then gone, right? I mean, we have this can-do spirit, you know, pull up my bootstraps, right? I can do it myself on my own. And it holds us back, and we're missing out on the benefits of lamenting with others. When we grieve alongside one another, and let me tell you, church, there's no better place to do that than within a small group of people who are going through the same things. I mean, if I, you know... I'm not immune to lamenting. And if it weren't for a close group of people in this church that I could go to, I could pour, my wife and I could go and pour our hearts out, and we know that it's never going to get out, that we're keeping it all together, but, but it's a group of us going through the same thing, I don't know where I'd be. It's a great, great gift to lament together. Another reason we don't lament, 
I call it modern cynicism. Sadly, we've gotten to the point, I think, in our culture where we're hesitant to, to believe in people who have these overt displays of sadness and mourning, right? Where it's calculated, where it's just like, okay, th this starts to play, right? And my tears are going to start to roll. I, mean, I don't believe you. Who are you, right? We, we just, we're, we're cynical and we're skeptical of that kind of thing. Maybe you uh, had parents or family that didn't really express their lament well. It's just hard for us. Modern cynicism, American individualism, and the last one, fear. We don't lament because if we are honest with ourselves and we look deep with, within ourselves, we're afraid, right? Maybe because I don't think I should express that to God. Maybe that's how you grew up. I, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't tell him my frustrations. But he's a big God. He's got big shoulders. He wants to listen. And to, we can be totally honest with him. But maybe also we have fear because of this reason. We're feel fearful to bring our lament to God because nothing's going to change. What if God doesn't fix my problem? Or as Pastor Joe said, what if he says no? And God goes dark and silent. What then? You see, that, that fear leads us not to even lament in the first place, right? Because we want to protect ourselves. And there's a book by C.S. Lewis who speaks these words. It's in the four loves. Uh, it talks about love uh, and the risk of being hurt. I love the way he says it. He says there's no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. Well, if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, well, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around the hobbies and the little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. Isn't it amazing the way he writes? It's just beautiful the way that is. But you see, lamenting to God, it isn't a sign of weakness. It's an act of faith. To share our deepest sorrows to the Lord, Right? To stop our willingness to protect ourselves, to let go of that fear, to let go of the cynicism, let go of that activism, lamenting, right? Not lamenting, actually. Not weeping, not speaking out to God our fears and anguish actually is far more dangerous to our souls. If you don't lament to him, right, you'll be alone or to one another. God wants us to lament to acknowledge that my heart is broken, that we're incapable of fixing anything and finally lay it all before him. So I want to end my message today by just three simple things, how a Christian, right, can lament. First one is this, direct your conversation of sorrow to God. What do I mean by that? Just don't talk out loud in the air to no one, right? Don't talk at the suffering or towards the pain, but direct our sorrow or anguish to God. Examples of this, Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? Save, O Lord, in Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, in Psalm 26? To you, O Lord, I call. Start talking to him. Next, describe your suffering and your pain. Yes, he knows already before we speak our innermost thoughts, but he wants us, just like talking to a friend, talk it out loud. Because that's what we do when we're talking to a friend. We talk out loud. How many times in my car driving alone am I yelling out to God? Have you done that? Raise your hand if you've done that. I'm yelling out to God. Good. 
I'm not alone, right? To share our vulnerability. The Psalms don't sugarcoat things. It just writes it the way it is, right? I love that. Lastly, this. After you've talked, after you've cried out, after you don't have anything more to say, before you get up from that conversation, before you end, then we remember his character. We speak words of faith in him. We tell him, I depend on you, God. My hope's in you, Lord. That's the final step, really, of biblical lament. That we don't only pour out our sorrows, but we also remember his faithfulness. We remember his goodness. We put our hope in him. That's an awesome, awesome thing. Psalm 13, but I trust. That's how he ends, right? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. God, I'm reminded what you've done for me. Like lamentations, because of God's great love, we're not consumed. Psalm 28, 2, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil? We're talking to ourselves, right? Hope in God. So I can praise you in your salvation. Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. I am helped. We speak the truth of God's word back to us. So as Christians in those dark times, in those moments when God is silent, when God goes dark, we pour our hearts out to him and lament because it's an act of faith. And we know that he, our hope, is secure. How do we know our hope is secure? Because Jesus really did die on that cross. And because he really did rise again from the dead. So that I would be his child. I would be justified. I would be sanctified. I would be washed. My sins are taken care of. My eternity is set. I want to be in heaven. Praise God. That he never turns away from us. He never grows weary of keeping his promises. He's faithful to the end. Lamenting to God is an act of faith. Amen and amen. So, as we have those times of lament, we also have times where God knows we need to be strengthened. We have this as we do as a church body, this gift of, of celebrating Holy Communion, receiving this bread and this wine and this great mystery that when we do that, it's his body and his blood that strengthens us, that gives us life. So as I invite the hospitality team to come forward, what we do as a church is um, there's gluten-free wafers in the, in the, the section outside uh, uh, or in the middle there. The, in the middle of the section of the wine, there's a clear alcohol-free option as well, so gluten-free and alcohol-free. And then when you come, you can come and, and take your elements and go to the prayer rail and, and lament. And, and we'll, I guess we have professional lamenters here. Pastor Joe, Autumn will be here. I'll be up here. If you want to just say, hey, help me, right? Help me and put your hands out like this. We'll pray for you. You don't have to get into great detail, but we'll, we'll pray and, and, and just surround you and help you lament. Right? And then receive God's word. So you can come to the prayer rail or you can choose to take it and go back. If you're coming with a family, the, 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 the person that's leading that family might just want to pray over their own family. Right? You have your personal quiet time or you go there or you can have us. Those are the options. It's a beautiful gift that we have, isn't it? To have communion together. And so before that, I'm just going to lead you in some moments of confession. So you bow your heads.
I just call to mind Psalm 51, where the psalmist writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away in my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know that my sin is always before you. Against you and you only have I sinned. And done what is, is, is not pleasing in your sight. Wash me, Lord. Cleanse me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Don't take away your spirit from me. But give me a willing spirit to sustain me. Fathers, we acknowledge who we are in your presence. We also acknowledge that you truly forgive us, that when we confess to you, you come right away and say, as far as, as Tim said, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. Help us to believe that with this gift today. We ask it in Jesus' name.